welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back for another express post from the Women's World Cup and it's time to talk about the second semi-final which was England 3, Australia 1. You can probably tell by the tone that it's necessarily going to be a somber pod but we're definitely not pop and passion pop you know what I mean but um we cannot wait to talk about it regardless um there's lots to talk about so we can't wait to crack in but before we do we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today the Gadigal people and pay our respects to their elders past and present for today's episode you've got me Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian Wilkes, Anna Harrington and Sam Lewis so friends a vibe check post Tilly semi-final. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm I've personally just not moved on from Sam Kerr's goal, and I'm choosing not to live in any other moment in uh, in that game apart from the ball twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom and over Mary Earps's head and into the back of the net. Um, that like I think Marissa, you summed it up really well in your piece, like. Um, and Sam, you did too. Um, great job, everyone. The just the collective, the collective delight and awe and feeling of anything was possible when Sam Kerr that lovely ball through by Katrina Gary, by the way, to slip through Sam Kerr. She just kept running. She was running and running, and Millie Bright was there, and Jess Carter wasn't far away, and they both know how she plays, and they kind of did everything right that they should as defenders. And there's nothing you can do to stop one of the best players in the world when they just look up and go, you know what, I'm going to score this because I've got a whole nation, a whole team on my back and I've not been out of fire all tournament. Everyone's had all these expectations on me and we're trying to dig ourselves out of a hole and I'm going to put this all on my shoulders and do it. And I don't know, I've watched the dog so many times, I'm sure we all have. Um, and it's just incredible. It's the best goal I've ever seen live. As I'm sure it was for a lot of other people. And just the way she cuts onto her right, the way she strikes it, and I just loved how it like soared and it just dipped at the right moment. Like that is someone uh, at the peak of their powers who hasn't really had much of a chance to show at this tournament, just pulling off something that not many people can do. So I've, I've just been living in that moment forever because that was when we could all sort of dare to dream. And then eight minutes later, it all came crumbling down. So yeah, it was like we got one of the best moments we've probably all experienced in sport, followed by one of the saddest. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And the thing that I am mostly like feeling is relief for her, to be honest, because I one of the, the biggest worries I had was that we would get through the entire World Cup and and Sam Kerr wouldn't be able to have a moment. You know, she wouldn't have a goal, she wouldn't have just like an opportunity for the world to see her in this thing that she has been the face of for so long and that so many people were so excited for her to be in um and so for her to do it in that way I was like (laughs) like, how much more could we want you know it was genuinely spectacular it was the kind of moment that you remember forever I'm never ever going to forget the sound of that stadium when the ball hit the back of the net it was like it was complete euphoria and in a way that like you could tell that the noise was coming from a, a, a the country of people who were just so thrilled that this had happened to her, you know, that she was able to push through all this stuff that she's had to push through 
and has stood up in this moment of all moments and scored a goal like that, which is genuinely like a goal of the tournament contender as well. Um, it was it was extraordinary and uh, what a privilege to have been there to watch it. Angela, any thoughts on the goal that stopped the nation? Not really. I don't know. I, just, I haven't watched it back. I don't want to watch it back because I want to just experience it as I saw it um, because it was madness. Like, it was so, so good. And it was, we were at the other end behind the goal um but it was kind of like the so like Claire Hunt's turnover and then Gory's pass was just kind of directly in front of us in our eye line and it it was still just such a great I, I don't think you could have been in a spot in that stadium and it would have not been a great spot to see that goal do you know what I mean um but yeah we got to see like from where we were we got to see that you know, beautiful angle of it. Just pop in the back of the net. <laughs> um, yeah, incredible. And you're so right, Sam, in that I it was such a special moment for her to have this. And I'm just thinking about the incredible talent we've seen at this World Cup. I don't think there are any other players that have that. They there are play I think that we've got players like Linda Caicedo who are kind of building into that kind of quality but yeah it's I think I sometimes forget to appreciate that just how good Sam Kerr is and what magic she can do and so yeah there's a real sense of relief and but the euphoria was I don't it, it did make the the moments that came after it just all that more like so much further to fall to use a cliche so yeah it I, I don't know I'm, I'm still kind of digesting it all to be honest because I, I don't I feel like I haven't really paused but and I'm also quite I'm not I had a big night and I still haven't recovered from that that big night there were commiseration drinks afterwards and I was I, I still feel pretty devastated not in a like but it's it's a wholesome sadness, I think. It's not like a existential sadness. There's a there's a lot of kind of comfort in it, I think. But yeah, that goal was so ah. Punt on the secondary assist and Gory like just doing the. I feel like there's been moments this tournament where she's tried to do things that she's not necessarily good at, but that was just one of those moments where she did something that she's just so, so like, that's what she's built for. And those kinds of mm -hmm. passes, um, uh, her kind of magic as well. So it was just a lot of different things coming together. Um, I feel poor Mary Earps. She, like, sure. Oh, she'll be right. Final, she's into a World Cup final. <laughs> Yeah, I you feel can't like do Sam much about that one though. Therapy for her. <laughs> but like, at least it's not one of those like ones like the little chips or like where someone's turned it over. Like this was just pure brilliance. There wasn't much old mate Murps could do about that one. I I agree, Angela, that the the high of that made the fall all the worse. And like, 
just the contrast of that compared to the things that went wrong. Like, as I think Tony alluded to in his post-match presser, the two chances that Sam missed at the end are ones that she'd normally bury at least one of them, the header and then the, the volley. The volley looked hard, though, and you can understand there's the limited time on the training track, limited game time. I thought she got better as that game went on. My fear was that she'd just burn out, obviously the goal happened and then she just was a threat the whole rest of the game um but just things like the the thing that sort of saddened me was what brought us undone was stuff that hasn't really been far the nigeria game been a problem this tournament and i think the level of it was due to fatigue like your concentration drops and the level of it was the absence of alana kennedy whose absence i thought was massive um pre-game you go that's a blow, um, but Claire Pogne was pretty reliable. And then when they get, as the game unfolded, you're like, geez, we could have used Kennedy's aerial ability, her leadership, her strength, her aggression, I think, in the first half especially. And even Tony talked about lack, that lack of aggression and intent on second balls and things like that. Um, it's about three different players switch off for the opening England goal. Like, I think Gory and Cooney Cross obviously let Ella Toon drift in unmarked. Ellie Carpenter's beaten um, by Lauren Hampton. I spent so much of writing my match report being like, oh, was that him or was that Russo? They just keep getting <laughs> and like having to double check. Yeah, but the way they were beaten from a throw-in, to be honest, was really poor, the opening goal. Um, but I think the most devastating and obviously deflating was the, the second England goal because Australia had all the momentum. Sammy had just scored that incredible goal. Um, just had a couple of little half chances, like when Jess Carter just got in the way before she was able to try and shoot from the place. That was a bit more of a speculative one, like a half chance, but still. And then it's literally just what a Millie Bright long ball and Ellie Carpenter really, and I feel for her, um, but she just failed to deal with it. And she failed to deal with the physical pressure from Lauren Hemp behind her. Um, I felt for McKimsey Island in that moment because surely she was just thinking, clear it, clear it, get it. Like it was, it's a pretty innocuous situation to ultimately concede from. And Ellie Carpenter, you generally back, I think, is reasonably, reasonably strong one on one, right? To just get it out of trouble. She had a couple of really good moments earlier in the game where she just nullified danger. So, and then I think once it hit the back of the net, the stadium was almost in like disbelief. Like, what? <laughs> we were like on top. Um, and, you know, a lot of credit goes to England and the way they dug their way out. Um, I think. Serena, our coach Tony, I think um, he thinks she she was excellent. Um, I think they were very smart with taking advantage of the fact that yellow cards got wiped. I've seen a lot of people go, "Oh yeah, you know England a bit thorough." They played it smart. The ref let a lot go, and that's both sides. I still don't know how Hayley Razzo doesn't have multiple cards this tournament, um, but like you know, they were smart with leaving a foot in. Um, Alex Alex Greenwood um, obviously gets a yellow card in the first ten minutes. I'm not sure why Australia didn't target her really actively after that, which is what, you know, you probably should do with someone on a yellow, a defender on a yellow. Anyway, I thought they were really smartly coached. But, yeah, as as we know, I, um, my, my big thought was um, we saw Tony loading up the subs bench just before Sam Kerr scores that goal. And then as soon as she scores, they all get sat back down again. I thought as soon as Sam scored that goal, Courtney Vine should have come on just to really ram at home that Australia were coming hard for him because – as much as that goal changed the complexion of the game, it also didn't because clearly players would still have been tired. Players would have still been leggy. Caitlin Ford was still struggling. 
Haley Razzo, you know, was obviously a bit leggy as well. And I thought that was when the subs had to happen to really ramp home. And if they didn't happen, then they had to happen at bang on 2-1. And I think um, Tony didn't actually get questioned about his post-match because of the FIFA business where everyone except Australian journalists gets a chance to ask questions in a beers. But the lack of substitutes, um, I think, throughout the tournament and in this game as well, sort of came back to haunt us around the lack of faith in the bench. Players looked leggy, players looked tired, and I think that's partly why they took so long to get going and why England also finished finished the game stronger. And for me, that putting Alex Chidiak on for effectively novelty minutes at 3-1 um, was the most bizarre thing because, like, how are you meant to change a game when it's 3-1 down here in the what, 85th minute or whatever it was, 87th minute? That's it. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and you could kind of, the moment where I was like, oh, he, it doesn't look like he know what, what he's doing was um, when he uh, shuffled around, he brought on Emily Van Egmont and he shuffled around the back four and put Kara Cooney cross into right back and Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter were kind of like shuffling between each other, trying to figure out what was going on, looking over to the sideline, Tony doing the bizarro like thing with his hands. Mr. Burns, to them. that's what someone said, like the Mr. Burns doing <laughs> the baseball. Yeah. And, so, and Steph had to run over to the sideline and be like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what? And you could tell that she had no clue what the plan was, which is bad. For someone who has been talking so much about having prepared for every situation, that particular moment of having your vice captain come over to you and ask you, what are you doing? is incredibly telling. So I think in that respect, um, he was he was very much outcoached by Serena. But even like tactically he was outcoached uh, and you saw that in the first probably 15 minutes where, you know, the England's game plan was incredibly clear. They were able to suffocate Hayley Rasso and Caitlin Ford. They had long direct balls going between uh, Australia's centre-backs and allowing people like Georgia Stanway Alessia Russo, Lauren Hemp to get in behind a couple of times. That was even before they scored the first goal. Like Georgia Stanway had a, a clear one-on-one with Mackenzie Arnold that she that Macca was able to save. Um and and it was working and like that. And that's just pretty like simple stuff as well. Um and from the way that they moved the ball around, like they they just looked better. They just looked better in in pretty much every respect. And that was why I think I I'm kind of fine with the result. Like we spoke in like the preview episode where we're like, you know what? Like the France game was kind of our final. Like that we we that would that have everything and they gave everything to that game. So coming into this one, a semi-final, we'd never reached it before. Like this was all gravy, as Marissa says. And and we were beaten by a much better team. So like we had chances to get back into it, don't get me wrong. And Dan Kerr's, you know, individual ability to just like completely reshape a game in her own image, uh, I think was um was on display there. And it could have been a very different conversation had she scored that that volley towards the end and brought it to two two, had she, you know, whatever. And we'll always ask those what if questions. Um, Absolutely. But for me, I'm like, England were were excellent. They were excellent from the opening whistle to the closing whistle. They knew exactly what they were doing in every stage of the game. They knew how to manage it. Yes, their second goal was kind of lucky because Ellie Carpenter should have just hoofed it instead of trying to be a legend. Um but I feel like the England had the kind of momentum where they probably would have scored anyway. So I'm like, I'm fine with it. And now they go into the final, potentially looking like the better team. I think that was probably England's best performance of the tournament. Um, but unfortunately, now we all have to be England fans because we're on team anyone but Jorge. It's a really tough place to be in. And uh, my thoughts are with 
everyone, especially friend of the pod, Ben McKay, who can't think of anything worse than England winning. Um, and he's really struggling with that, I know. He's going to be in Sydney, so we can all catch up and miserate whatever happens. Um, but I agree, Sam, that England look better. But I think the thing with knockout games is it doesn't really matter sometimes who's better because you can still give yourself a chance. And I think that's what hurts so much is after not really, let's be honest, firing a shot, our best chance early was the Sam Kerr offside one um, until she scored, right? Like for a minute there, when England were 1-0 and they were fucking time-wasting and all that, he was like, we looked dead in the water for a long time. Like I think we're all just like, well, this sucks for ages. Like where are these subs coming? Because Sam Kerr looks good, we're struggling, not much is happening. And... Um, yeah, all of a sudden, Sammy does the thing. And then you're right in it. And then once you do that, like, England was so rattled, which was why, as I said before, I would have loved that subs to come up. Because once you get rattled in a big game, anything can happen. Um, and I think by not pressing the issue, it um, they opened the door for them to resettle and then put the game back on their terms. In. And they deserve so much credit. I, I don't want to take any credit away from England for the way the maturity that they showed to resettle. Um and it's important not to forget either. This is the third World Cup semi-final in a row. Um, and when Sam, you're in the mix zone as well, like talking to players um, like Steph Catlick, it's like they are aware that it, you learn something from these experiences. But the, I think the, the most disappointing thing when we talk about, not full existential crisis, but like my partner Val can probably attest to it. I was pretty mopey, like for a good 24 hours, <laughs> like having a good sook. Um, I went into my office in Sydney yesterday and <clears throat> annoyed everyone who had to hear all of my whinging. Um, sometimes you just need to be around people, even if it's only for your benefit. Um, and it just felt like it was a missed opportunity in that sense. Like, this is like, I hate to use the same term, but just for familiarity for everyone, this is a golden generation. Like, players, all these players, there's going to be some, like, the, the devastation in, say, Katrina Gorey's voice was quite obvious. Like, this is clearly her last World Cup. She made that pretty clear. Claire Polking was last World Cup. And even those ones that aren't, that are more borderline, like Sam Kerr and Steph Catley are 29, Alana Kennedy, Mackenzie Arnold, Caitlin Ford, 28. Like, there's a lot of these players, Emily Van Eggman, 30. Um, there's a lot of these players that are going to be either at the tail end of their careers or they might have even retired. You don't know what can happen in four years of football. So I think between that and the home crowd, you just look at it. And I think that that's how the players at least look at it and go, Jesus, this is a missed opportunity. Like, this is the one. And it's important to remember. This generation hasn't won silverware yet. A few of them were there for the 2010 Asian Cup. Um, Sam Kerr actually played quite an important role, but most of this team weren't. Your Steph Catleys, your Caitlin Fords all sort of emerged around 2011 onwards. So they've not actually won anything yet. So I think this is what must have grated at them so much, is that they felt this was the time. And yeah, there's still the Olympics next year. Um, the good thing is they do have the third place playoff, which often considered the worst game in football because everyone is just sad, but they want to get something out of it. England in 2015, Sweden in 2019, both really valued their third place playoff wins. And Caitlin Ford in the, in the distribution from FA yesterday said, no, no game hurt more than losing the bronze medal match against the US because you go into that match thinking we can still come away with something and they fell short. I was talking about with Pally yesterday and I think it's like, you lose a semi and then you lose the third place game. It's like first you get punched in the face and then you get kicked in the ribs afterwards. Like you could, you, you know, you want to pull yourself off of the canvas. And I, I'm really happy for them to at least get that opportunity to do that. But yeah, it, it, it sort of has 
stung at me. I'm sure it stings those players because it it was that opportunity. And, you know, England will deserve this chance. But it is a real what if. I, I, I really hope they can go and win on Saturday. I think they would, they would deserve to come away from this tournament with something. They should do the third place playoff, just all the combinations, I don't know, earlier in the tournament. Because I don't know, we'll do it. I don't know. That's a stupid thing to say. But the way that it's set up, yeah, I don't, I feel for them. The fact that they have to rebuild so quickly. But I guess that's tournament football. Um, Harry? I was to say, I felt for them they have to schlep up to Brisbane again. <laughs> Couldn't it just be, be in Sydney as well? Just too bad for us that we have to schlep up to Brisbane again. <laughs> Sam, yeah. I've spent so much time in Brisbane. <laughs> I have no objections to Brisbane. It's a lovely place. Mr. and I have just spent a long time in that airport. My commiserations. Um. I'm going on two boats. I've, 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 I'm so tired. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do another early morning flight. Um, but I will be. That was me yesterday, and then I ate lunch. I was back. Oh. <laughs> I had one yeah. and I was like, you know what, actually, I can go again. I do have this in me. Not to be dramatic or anything. <laughs> I love Wish that. It was that simple for the Matildas. Just a bottle of water, some sushi, and they're ready to roll. <laughs> Got my little black bag of sushi and I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay. Uh, we can't explain why that's so funny right now. Um... <laughs> to ask you guys about <laughs> maybe never once we've recovered um so tony was he looked confused we were confused it was confusing is that just he he doesn't have big tournament experience i because i feel like there's a little bit coming into this tournament that we were told the narrative in part was to trust the process and we trusted the process and I don't think that there was anything wrong in doing so because what he's done and what he has built is amazing and there's so much credit for that but that kind of side to the coaching is a little bit different to yeah the decisions that you make in the heat of the moment when there's so much pressure and you're having to yeah react in a huge game so I'm not sure like if folks had thoughts because Serena Bargman like it is kind of like Serena Bargman punched me in the face and it was awesome like I'm glad it was England <laughs> I really hope that like yeah too. she like and if she, I, I really really want England to win on that front as well the fact that they have a fantastic coach like her she's incredible and I think that would be that's important as well Again, if you haven't listened to our preview pod with Alex Epicetto and you don't know why we don't like Jorge Vildo, it's all in there. But, um, yeah, too Sam, Harrow, Marissa. I have, I have thoughts. I think it's twofold. Um, I think one is, uh, as much as Tony's done some, he has done some great things, I think he deserves a lot of credit um, for things like the defence, and that's partly uh, Jens as well, the assistant coach. Defence is a lot more solid. Obviously, Claire Hunt's addition helps there. I think generally, a lot more defensive fortitude there. Um, Claire, the counterworks. I think 
Australia still struggle in possession. I think that's been a consistent theme no matter who you talk to. They love to be on the counter, um, which means that you are relying on not having the ball a lot and, you know, winning it back on turnover, which if you have a team like England or, say, if we played Spain, who are very good at having possession for a long time and turning the screws and building pressure. And I like what you said, Sam. They had a very clear point early on. You could see it was like pass it around the back three and then Billy Bright or Alex Greenwood would look to launch out to the wingbacks. And Australia covered that really well initially. Um, I think covered the Lucy Bronze. I thought Lucy Bronze deserved and Jessica deserved a lot of credit for containing Caitlin Ford. That's the most anonymous she's been all the tournament. <laughs> but in terms of Tony, I think it's twofold because one of it is I think as much as he talked about building depth, and I think this is a big frustration for everyone, he has not trusted that depth at all. Not at all. Of the um, 20 out play, uh, outfield players, 17 played. When you, yeah, where you take you take three away from that really because Alex Chidiak, Tamiki Olive, Charlie Grant barely played, barely trusted. Uh, Tamiki Olive obviously had that bit of an injury niggle, but um, I don't think Courtney Nevin was really ever going to play, but Claire Wheeler not used at all. Alex Chidiak barely used. Charlie Grant, despite look how well she played against England last time, not used at all. And that's when Ellie Carpenter, let's be honest, in some ways was having a shocker. Um, you're looking to rejig things, why not? When this is when Van Engel comes on, why not shift Hatley centrally, bring on Charlie Grant for holding on and just tell her, just go bang, bang. <laughs> like, it just, the total lack of trust in his bench was extraordinary. 3 0 up against Canada, no substitutes made. You've got Caitlin Ford and Katrina Gorey getting run ragged. Why not bring an Alex Chidiak on, even on the left wing, or Claire Wheeler in to help close out the game, just to give Katrina Gorey an extra half hour in her legs? Like, just some of these things, it's all, and it all builds up, right? There was, there's a level of it in that Australia never really had an opportunity to rotate, like Spain and Sweden in particular, for example, um, had opportunities where they could rest like nine players or like make wholesale change. But just based on form, you go, how much would Australia have, Tony have trusted his second stringers to do it anyway? Because look at the Indonesia game at the Asian Cup where it was like, let's keep the big dogs on and they can just ramp home 18 goals. So I think there's a legitimate question mark there. Um, if you're going to talk so much about building depth, then you've got to actually use it because if you don't trust it, then it's not depth. If you don't trust Claire Wheeler to come on and do a job, then actually, no, she doesn't count as depth because you're having her as a training code. Like, um, I think that frustrated me. So one, you're not using those players when you're in less high-pressure situations. Also, there's just not been a trust in them to, to come on and change the game. Um, I think the Kaya Simon situation deserves more scrutiny post-World Cup. I think there needs to be some honesty around it. Like, did she have a setback after the cutoff date? Because you had on July 3, Sam Perry, Tony talking about how well Kaya had been training and how she looked like she had missed a beat. And we've barely seen her training with the main group. So was there a setback after the, you know, the 24 hours before the Island game? If not, if they never thought she was right to play, they'd have to carry her. Then why wasn't the decision made when Sam Kerr or Tamika Yellow was injured to withdraw Kaya Simon from the squad and bring in a fit player just for another option? Like, those things are going to come up, I think. Um, yeah, I, I just, the lack of trust in that bench, I think, is really quite devastating. I feel like, I feel for, um, I think Alex Chidiak, Charlie Grant, obviously she had the concussion at one point. Um, I believe it didn't get any minutes, but hasn't necessarily been needed. But, yeah, I think it's for your, your Wheelers and Chidiak and Grant types in particular that have all shown they can do things to not be trusted at all. And that doesn't have to be like 
um, start Alex Chiniak or start Claire Wheeler. It's like give them the 20, 30 minutes to actually, you know, trust them to close out a game, trust them to finish it off. But even Courtney Vine, like, got less and less, uh, after originally starting, was used less and less. Like, it's, um, and I think it was very good when she came on against England. So I found all that quite quite frustrating and I'll be interested to see what happens against Sweden like will these players get turned to or will it just be running the same group of players into the ground and then pretending to be shocked if Sweden run them over run over the top of them right yeah that's good what's going to be really interesting about this third place playoff I think is who's actually going to get a go because like he's spoken so much about you know 23 and 23 and yet we haven't seen that in action 17 um, in 23 and 14, yeah exactly basically. exactly and i think the kaya simon question i think is particularly um important in light of the france game we need some because like that was his justification for her coming she was ready to take a penalty and so like what's why did that happen and i think like all of these questions will come out in the wash right like we're we're still kind of um, we're still in tournament mode. We're still riding the emotions of it all, and I think you know. And Tony's been very honest about the fact that he's always learning from his own mistakes as well. And I think he would be the first to admit that he probably made mistakes against England. Um, but in the in the sort of weeks and months ahead, I think with some the clarity of hindsight, I think we'd be able to really um, do a post-mortem on the tournament and figure out what went right and what went wrong and why um, and what to do going forward. Because, like, as you mentioned before, Harry, we've got an Olympics around the corner. We've got an Asian Cup around the corner. Um, we need to prepare for those as well. And for me, I'm just like, I am really sad for those more peripheral players. I understand that his uh, his sort of approach to this was funnily enough borrowed from Serena Weigman and what England did at the Euros, which is that statistically teams that don't change their starting 11 are the ones that go furthest in the tournament. And, you know, objectively, when you look at it, he's been right. Like, we're, this is the furthest we've ever gone. And that was a result of that philosophy. But at the same time, the flip side of that is, well, how much further could we have gone had we had fresher players? How much further could we have gone had we had the depth that he was talking about and he trusted that depth and those players, your Chidiacs, your Grants, your Wheelers, your Vines were given more of an opportunity to actually grow into this tournament as well because they weren't really given that. And those are the players that I, I do feel kind of bummed for. Um, and I think Chidiac was probably the best example of that after the England games came through the mix zone and you could kind of tell that uh, she wasn't she wasn't happy um, and she's so diplomatic she's not a, she's not a Carol, caroline graham hansen that's gonna go yeah it's chips time it should have been playing but like the you can you can feel the disappointment yeah. right like how she meant to i actually just think it's insulting to the players to talk about pump up their quality and talk about them being a game changer and how she meant to change the game when it's the 87th or whatever minute and you're down three one like that's token minutes right like it just that's disabled, but I did put her on. <laughs> like, uh, I, I feel for a player asked to come on and do that. And I also think, like mentioned I think they needed to be brave, and Caitlin Ford was struggling. Like, they either had to shift her centrally or take her off and bring on fresh legs. And that isn't an indictment on Caitlin Ford, who has been one of the best players of any team in this tournament. But England had a plan, and it worked really well. They managed to negate the threat of Caitlin Ford. So you've got to 
yeah, think and look at these things and make the appropriate changes. And she, she works so hard, which is fantastic. But yeah, the tiredness, I think, is partly what it comes down to. And yeah, again, it all ties in there. I do want to mention her, Mary Fowler. What a player she can be. Like, I know she looked tired at times in this game, but that ball for Sam Kerr near the end was like quite extraordinary. I, I, I'm just so excited to see what a player she can become because I feel like she's grown through this tournament. And if there's anything, any one positive that's come out of Sam Kerr's injury, it's the way, by the game, which is that with concussion, she's had to step up and fill multiple roles and be a, be a creator, be a playmaker, be a finisher. It doesn't seem to matter what it is. She just, like, takes the responsibility. And the way she floats across the pitch is, is like, yeah, something really special. I hope she has a moment in this third place playoff. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. it's it's hard when you've just been knocked out and there's that lingering disappointment, and it's hard to think about. You know, this has been an amazing month, and this team has done some incredible things and some great moments. Because I think we're still all in the what if. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if we all live in the what if space for a while because we're not the players; we don't have to back up for a game on the weekend. But yeah, also uh, side note, my colleague George Clark reported that Australia's They've made it official. They're going to go head-to-head with the Saudis for the 2026 Asian Cup. So that'd be fantastic if we can get that here. Um, yeah, so there, is still, there are still chances to get some silver in the next couple of years. So, yeah, I, I just feel still feeling this sort of, you really live the, the what-ifs and you're like, oh, it, it could have been. Like, it was so close. But, Today, I feel sad. <laughs> oh, I was <laughs> Amy Ruski. I didn't see a message from her, then I replied the next day, and she's like, I assume you got home safely and you're not sending this from a dumpster in Strathfield. <laughs> and I was like, Today, I feel dumpster. Uh, anyway, I'll feel better. We'll feel better soon, but yeah, it's, I think, and it's also. I have to keep validating my sadness and being like, yes, we made it that far into a tournament. That's why it's sad. This is why it hurts so much. Because we were way deadly than good. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, we're so close. On that journey. No, I'm on that same journey. I'm like, that's what makes it hurt so much. Like, you get so close and then you like, to fall at this hurdle really hurts. Like, it's meant, it's meant to suck. Like, I think that's what, um, what like they say is like we were so close the players said we we're so close to a final like so close like when it gets back to one all because of that Sam Kerr goal I think yeah this is why we've talked about it. it's why it hurts so much because for that moment you could you could dare to dream and then it, it eventually all comes crumbling down um, so yes I think it's very natural to live in those moments forever and think about the what ifs so there, hey? The cafe you are at has really soundtracked this entire chat supremely. Oh, <laughs> it was, you should have heard, before, before we started recording, they were playing uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and I was like, oh, oh my God. Stop recording. <laughs> it's too just, real. Too relevant. It is too real. Do we have... <laughs> 
Sahara, I know you have to go, so do you have any final takes about this one? Um, just, just sad. It, it, it feels like a missed opportunity. They played their hearts out. They are, you, can, you can't doubt the endeavour. I think just the tiredness, the lack of rotations. So many of these things have just come together. And, yeah, and obviously a very, 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 as we've said, they don't need any more credit. England, very, very, very good England team just the yeah the perfect storm in that sense but i just hope that they um and the impression you get from the players is they'll give everything in that third place game and i really hope they come away with something from this tournament like just in terms of a, a little medal something less like that so you can third at a world cup is nothing to, to sniff at so I, I really hope they can go on and do that and then i'm looking forward to watching the final um with you know no sort of like strong emotional call to it <laughs> Up the tillies. Up the tillies. We all want a little bronze medal as a treat. Um, uh, you may have been going to mention it, Marissa, but the the TV record. That was that was a nice okay. thing to cry to. Oh, okay. Things we've cried to in the last twenty four hours. Power rankings. Sam Kerr's goal. Losing. Fed Square. TV numbers. Um, Fed Square getting cancelled. Fed, Fed, Fed Square getting cancelled. Why would you do that? Oh, goose. Geese, geese, geese behaviour. Um, but yes, it was, what, a peak of 11, or reach rather, of 11.1 million people watching on seven alone. So that doesn't even take into account people watching on Optus, people watching um, in pubs and bars and other communal places, live sites, all of that kind of crap. And I just, like, we are not a large country. And if we're already hitting double-digit million figures watching the Tillies, bro, what the hell? I, I'm not eloquent today, so you're getting bro, what the hell? Deakin, Deakin University are doing a study where they're trying to see the total figures like it's just mm. a survey it would take two minutes definitely fill it in it's just like where did you watch the game basically yeah. so because yeah like you said it's just one figure i didn't even know we had 11.5 million tvs in this country <laughs> so i'm very impressed it's it's pretty cool <clears throat> it's, and it's, just... it's half the country right half the country watched this game because if you can Very, take into yeah. account a like one of those televisions was the screen at fed square and one of those televisions was at uh, the Sydney Football Stadium, which was also opened up for 10,000 people to watch it on. Mm -hmm. If you actually if you sort of like guesstimate, it's yeah. around or over half of Australia watched that one game. It was the most watched sporting event, I think, in Australian television history. Uh, yes. It beat the Kathy Freeman gold medal run. It beat every other record that they've already set. And it, it was – and that in itself is just – is proof for me that, like, uh, what we've been talking about, it's like the result almost is secondary on the field because what they've done off the field is ultimately the biggest achievement, right? Like, they've got this whole country knowing who they are and being able to cut through to people outside of football in a way that finally gets them to understand how this thing feels. And that's always been football's biggest challenge, right, is is trying to get these 
you know, multi-sport or, or casual fans or non-sport people to understand why we love this thing and why we love this team. It, it was a similar vibe in the Olympics, I think, the way that they navigated all of those games, uh, that, that they, they, they did something for our souls, you know, and I feel like they, they did that for us over this whole World Cup. And, you know, regardless of the third place playoff, I think it's, the game's just going to be a bit of a celebration of that, I reckon. It's just going to be a moment for us all to sit and to thank them for doing what they've done for the game and for Australia because it's like like sport is, you know, we can talk about this forever. Sport is often a, a kind of nexus through which we understand our identities as a nation. Um, <clears throat> and I realise that's complicated because what does a nation actually look like? But you know, they've, they've made us really proud to be Australian. You know, they've shown the kind of character I think that we would like to see in ourselves as Australians. And to have seen that again and again and again through these women um, and, and for them to, to, to get to this point, which we may never get to ever again, having done it in the way that they've done it, um, is, is miraculous. I don't think any of us on this podcast could have, wanted anything more than what's happened like yeah winning the world cup would have been amazing but if it didn't have this kind of impact then what's what was it all for you know i just all of a sudden went back to you and i sam and harrow and a lot of press pack friends of the pod at the pub across the road from Suncorp Stadium and we're going to get a beer and Hunters and Collectors Throw Your Arms Around Me starts playing and it's like, and we may never meet again. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, no. I'm too hungover for this. Um, Yeah, anyway. Is this your first hungover pot? Uh, Yeah, because I'm usually smarter than this. (laughs) Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> there, um, there is also a a mini pod that uh is me, Amy Rusky, and Sophie Lawson that I will send to the Far Post group chat later. Um, oh my god! At recorded listeners, at about you're not getting that one. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, recorded at about one thirty in the morning. There was a lot of yelling of they don't want it. So take from that what you will. <laughs> Um, yeah, I suppose, is there anything else we want to talk about? We know that, like, obviously this third place game is going to be, um, I think someone was asked, one of the Tillies was asked about, and, you know, it's like sometimes third place playoffs feel a little bit met, but it's like you have a chance to, you know, finish third, which is objectively better than fourth. Um, you know, quick maths. Um, but yeah, do we have any final, I suppose, thoughts on either the game or just looking ahead to um, our glorious return to Bris Vegas? Not really. I'm keen to see the hottest woman in the universe, Lena Hertig, who weirdly has done things in this tournament. Um, I'm like, no, I'm just like, Lena Hertig's done I was one like, thing. I'm like, I'm a guy in Brisbane, Sam. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lena well, Lena Hurtig, she scored the, scored the winning penalty against the USA and then she assisted uh, a goal in the um, whatever was the last game. I can't remember. I'm so tired. 
Um, it's so annoying because like people who are new to the Lena Hertig experience, you'll be like, it's not particularly good. And they're like, but look at that. And you're like, you can't really argue with it. But you're like, trust me. Trust <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This is this is what I want my expertise to be given weight for. No. <laughs> Lena Hertig, well done, babe. I'm I'm glad you've had a good tournament. You deserve it. It's a shame that you're going to crumble under the might of the Matildas. Um, sorry, I'm off it. I've had to, like, delete all the ABBA off my Spotify. I'm anti-Sweden for the next couple of days. Um, there's, there's only room for one yellow team in this town. Um, and it's the Tillies. Um, I've lost the plot here. Um uh, can people still register for the live pod, pod Angela, or has that closed? They sure can. It's still open today. It'll close Ooh. at the end of today, which is Friday. Excellent. So get around it. Um, yeah. I'm nervous, so please register. <laughs> In case you needed more incentive to come along, that will be our last pod of the tournament we're going to cover both the third place game and the final in that tournament so be in the room where it happens come and just hang out with us it's going to be a great time but make sure you register today otherwise i think that's us done for today as always we're over on espn.com.au and the espn app we're on spotify apple google all of the usual pod spots if you like what we do make sure to leave a review and subscribe um, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media, so feel free to have a chat to us. But until next time, go Tillies and see you.